My name is Jacob. You're listening to the Context for Christ podcast, the podcast where we're putting scriptures back into context to give us a better understanding of God's word and where we address biblical theological topics and false teaching. If this is your first time, thank you so much for tuning in. Please consider following me on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor Podcasts, and please consider subscribing to my YouTube channel as well. And for those of you who are new, my YouTube channel is strictly for dealing with verses that are taken out of context constantly and showing what they mean in their proper context in the chapter, in the passage. And then all that content is also put on podcast form. But on the podcast itself, I also deal with other biblical topics as well and address false teaching. So again, thank you for being here. Today, I wanted to talk about a very important topic that is close to my heart. Just to give some backstory, over a month ago, I was in a conversation with in a family group chat, and I was in a I was in a discussion with my brother and his wife. I'm not going to say their names because I'm not going to put them on blast like that. But with my brother and his wife, um, I have many siblings. And we were talking about the bill of abolition of abortion that was put into Louisiana at the time. And as a Christian, obviously, I was excited for it. And I said, please pray that this bill would be signed in, that abortion would be abolished in the state of Louisiana. And My brother's wife, who is an atheist, chose to respond by saying, one, false things about the bill. I'm not going to go into detail right now. I just want to give a quick backstory. But essentially, what her and my brother kept, the case they kept bringing up, because they they agreed that all abortions, all like the, all of the voluntary abortions, you know, the, you know, like 98% of them that are actually done simply because the mother just doesn't want it you know, that are done voluntarily, that are not due to anything else, they agree that those abortions should be ba- should be banned and made illegal. But they wanted to make a small exception for the other 2% that are the cases of rape, incest, or life of the mother, or even just potential disabilities that the child might have. They wanted to make an exception for those cases, but specifically they kept it harping on rape. But they kept bringing up this particular scenario, which I'm not aware of this scenario even happening. Someone told me that this happens more often than, than I think. Maybe it does, okay? But here's the scenario they kept bringing up. They kept saying, well, what about the case of a nine-year-old girl who gets raped by a family member or someone else, whoever it may be, a nine-year-old girl who gets raped and then gets pregnant, you really want her to you really want her to be forced, and that's the term they use, forced, to carry that baby to term. She's only nine years old. Her body's not developed. She has a very small body. It it could kill her. It could have it could have a lot of wear and tear on her body and a lot of physical and mental trauma. And so they they believe that in that case, murdering the innocent child, the innocent baby in the womb was justified my brother made the argument that that the issue of abortion especially in the particularly in the cases of rape and incest and whatnot it's not black and white there's some gray areas and murdering a child is justified in some in some cases and obviously the cases he was talking about was rape 
or particularly in the case of a nine-year-old girl who was raped, or ten-year-old girl, eleven-year-old girl, twelve-year-old girl. I don't know what I don't I don't know what what the cutoff age is exactly. But that's the issue they kept bringing up. Now, my brother is a professed he, he he's a professed Christian. He professes to know Christ. He professes to believe Christ. Whether or not he believes Bible, I'm I'm not going to speculate. I don't really know. But bottom line is, he professes to, to to be a Christian, but he wants to make an exception for murdering a, murdering an innocent, defenseless child in the womb in the case of a nine year old girl who was raped. So that's what I'm going to address today. That that that's just just a quick backstory on why I'm doing this episode, and I want to address three things. One, does God's word does God make an exception for murder? Now we're going to go into what murder is, the types of killing the Bible defines, what kind of killing is lawful, what kind of killing is unlawful. I want to address the issue of, does God make an exception in the case of a nine-year-old girl who was raped for the child in the womb to be murdered? Does God make an exception for that? That's I'll, I'll be discussing that. I will also be talking about why professing Christians... I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to address atheists or unbelievers here. I'm going to address, because my brother's not the only one who makes this kind of argument. There's many other professing Christians who are very liberal when it comes to this issue, who want to make an exception for abortion for the cases of rape or incest or life of the mother. I want to address why do they want to bring up these hypothetical scenarios so much why do they always want to bring up these cases that are just one they're emotionally driven whether they want to admit they are or not they are emotionally driven and i will show that in this episode well why why do they make these why do they want to argue from this standpoint every time okay i'll, I'll address why I'll, I'll address why i think they do this and thirdly i will also address the question can we as believers, you know, believers who, you know, believers like me who believe that there is absolutely no justification for abortion at all, no matter what the case is, and we believe it should be, it should be illegal and punishable as you would punish a murderer, can we as believers, Christians, have fellowship, have continuous fellowship, and when I say fellowship, I mean Close relationships with, for example, going to their house, feasting, eating together, laughing together, having a good time, you know. Can we have, can we as believers have fellowship with a professing Christian who believes that abortion, the murdering of an innocent child, is justified in just this one case? And not just this case, but any case they, 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 they want to think of. Can we as believers have, still have fellowship? with this kind of quote-unquote Christian who wants to make an exception for abortion? I will be addressing that question as well. So let's start with this. Let's start with the different types of killing that the Bible defines and which ones the Bible permits as justified and which one the Bible permits as no justification at all. The first one is obviously Murder. The murder, for definition, is the unlawful, premeditated killing of human life. I'll say it again. It is the unlawful, premeditated killing of human 
life. Now, one thing I want to mention is the Bible is clear on this. The Bible is not nuanced on the issue of murder. The Bible makes no exceptions for murdering, for for unlawfully taking an innocent human life. And I'm going to show that. First off, Exodus 20, verse 13. Clear as day, you shall not murder. That's it. You shall not murder. I don't see how God can make it any clearer than that. Let's go to Exodus 21, verses 12 and 14. Verse 12, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. And verse 14, but if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So there we, so the, in Exodus 20:13 we see God says you shall not murder, gives the command. Then Exodus 21, verses 12 and 14, God shows what those who commit murder, what their punishment is, and it's death. Deuteronomy 5.17, you shall not murder. Leviticus 24, verse 17, whoever kills, whoever kills any man shall be put to death. Now, that may seem pretty broad, because it says whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. But we have to go with what all of scripture says. Okay, so that's why I'm doing this. Let's keep reading. Genesis 9, verse 6, this is the first command God gives on murder. Whoever sheds men's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For the in the image of God he made man. So essentially, God is saying, whoever takes innocent innocent man's innocent human life, their life shall also be taken. Because in the image of God he created man. And so that's the issue of murder, the unlawful, premeditated killing of human life. Okay, basically killing somebody without a cause. This is, is the second kind of, of a killing. Manslaughter, which is the un, unintentional taking of human life. I'll read it again. Unintentional taking of human life. Deuteronomy 9, verses 4 through 6. And this is the case of the manslayer, or the killer, who flees there that he may live. And real, real quick, this is talking about the cities of refuge that those who commit manslaughter would flee to. And here's why. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in the past, as when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber, and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head of the axe slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. So this, so in, the, in, the, in this example it's giving, this, the, the scenario it's giving is that the guy swung back the, the axe to cut down the tree, Swings it forward, but the head of the axe, which we know what that is, swings off the handle, hits it, hits his neighbor, hits his friend, so that his friend dies. The guy who swung the axe was not intending to strike his friend. Okay, so this is unintentional killing. He, the manslayer, shall flee to one of these cities and live. Why? Because if he doesn't, the avenger of this says, lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long, and kill him, though he was not deserving of death, since he had not hated the victim in time past. So again, this is this is the unintentional killing of human life. So in the first in the first instance, in murder, the murderer deserves the death penalty. But in this case, Manslaughter, the unintentional killing of 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 human life, is not deserving of death because they had no intention to do it. This was this was unintentional. Let's give another example. 
Deuteronomy 4, verses 41 through 42. Then Moses set apart three cities on this side of the Jordan, toward the rising of the sun, that the manslayer might flee there, who kills his neighbor unintentionally, without, without having hated him in time past, and that by fleeing to one of these cities he might live. So we've already covered murder, we've cut her, covered manslaughter. And right now only and right now only one of those is God God views as a, as a crime punishable by death. And it's murder. Let's go to another example of killing. Killing in the moment of self-defense or the defense of loved ones. Exodus 22 verse 2. If the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. So basically, if a thief breaks into your home at night, and you go at him or her, whoever it is, you go at them, and you strike them. And whatever way that is, it could be with the bat, could be with the gun, could be with a knife, whatever it is. You strike them, and they die. Bible says here that there's no guilt for bloodshed. Why? Because you're protecting your family. You are protecting yourself. This is self-defense or defense of your loved ones. And so the Bible allows self-defense in these kinds of cases. And so killing someone in this scenario, killing the one who, killing the thief, because you, you don't know what he's going to do. You don't, know, you don't know what his intention is. You don't know what he's there, if he's there to rape your wife or if he's there to murder your children or murder you. You don't know that. And so if you take their life in that scenario, Bible says here you're not guilty of bloodshed because you're preserving human life. You're, you're preserving... Not only your own life, but also the life of your family. Let's look at let's look at a last one: killing in war, so warfare. And I'm not even going to cover this one because of the fact that the the uh, in the case of abortion, abortion is is death is obviously not a part of warfare. So I'm not even going to read this. Just go ahead and read Deuteronomy 20 verses 10 through 18 on your own. But essentially, what's the point? What's the point here? The examples of killing that I just gave, the Bible defines, we have murder, we have manslaughter, we have self-defense, and we have warfare. All of these, except for one, are allowed and justified by God, by his word. One of these is the odd one out. One of these uh, forms of killing is what God, is what God defines as a crime, as, a, as sinful, totally off-limits, and punishable by death. Which one is it? Murder. The unlawful premeditated killing of human life. Why? Because in murder, it's premeditated, it's hatred, and it's killing, it's murdering without a cause. Taking human life with, with without a cause. There may be excuses that a murderer might, might want to use. Oh, I was, uh, I, I'm, I'm mentally insane, this person looked at me funny, whatever. There, there's, there's no cause for it. So that, and that type of exam, that, that example of killing, the unlawful premeditated killing of human life, murder, is punishable by death according to God's word. God defines it as such, and he makes no exceptions for it. He makes exceptions for killing. Because here's, here's the thing. These are all four, all four of these examples I just gave that we just covered. They're all, they're all different kinds of killing. They're all different kinds of taking human life. But only one of them God defines as a crime. God defines as sinful, and it's murder. The other three examples, manslaughter, killing and warfare, 
and self killing in the in the uh, moment of self defense, these are allowed. Why do, why do I bring this up? Well, because let's think about what the issue of abortion is. Let's think about what actually what is exactly happens in abortion. And let's go through these examples and see which one this fits into. Is this manslaughter? Is killing a baby in the womb unintentional? Is this unintentional taking of human life? No. Again, the majority of abortions, 98% of abortions, they know it's a child in the womb. Everyone knows it's a child in the womb. It's a biological fact. You can't dispute it. So this is not manslaughter. They know this is a human life, and this is not unintentional. You don't, you don't take your child to an abortion clinic when you know what happens and then after 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 the the uh, procedure is done you don't come out and then find out the truth as if you didn't know it before and then say i didn't know it was unintentional is uh is is abortion um warfare killing obviously not so it's not a war it's not warfare so that so that that's pretty easy is this taking human life in the moment of self-defense? No. Because that innocent child is defenseless and they are not a threat to anyone or anything. So what does that leave what does that leave us with? Well, it leaves us with murder. Abortion is the unlawful, premeditated taking of human life. It's unlawful because it's premeditated. This, it's thought about, it's, it's done with thought, and it's taken innocent human life. This is hatred. They know it's a child in the womb. They know it's a child in the womb. And God makes no exception for the unlawful, premeditated killing of human life. No exception whatsoever. Now that we got the obvious out of the way, let's talk about rape. Now that we've established that abortion is not allowed or given any exception by God at all. Let's talk about the issue of the, the case of rape. Because this one gets brought up all the time by pro-aborts. I say, what about the case of rape? You really want the woman to carry to term the rapist's child? That's gonna, isn't that going to be a, a reminder of, of the trauma she faced? Now you see now you see how this is this is the emotional driven argument but let's talk about rape because the Bible does tell us how to handle the issue of rape let me start by saying what we don't do in in the issue of rape what we don't do is punish the innocent child for the sin of the father God even says it in um, in Ezekiel I believe it's in Ezekiel. God says that the the sons shall not pay for the sins of the father. So what we don't do is give the child, the defenseless, innocent child in the womb, the death penalty for something the father did. That we don't we don't do that. That's not how you make. That's not how you resolve the issue of uh, of rape. Let's look at let's look at Deuteronomy twenty two verse twenty five to twenty seven. But if a man finds a betrothed young woman. Betrothed just means engaged, an engaged young woman in the countryside, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing 
to the young woman. There is, there is in, the, in the young woman no sin deserving of death. For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this matter. For he found her in the countryside, and the engaged young woman cried out, but there was no one to save her. So here we know this is the issue of rape because of the fact that it says that he forces her, and she cried out for help, but there was no one to save her. So this is, this is rape. And what does God say to do to the rapist? Only the man who, who lays with her shall die. In other words, the rapist deserves the death penalty. Kill the rapist. That's what we do in the issue of rape. Even in the case of a nine-year-old girl who gets raped, the rapist deserves the death penalty, not the innocent child in the womb. Again, God makes no, God makes no exceptions for abortion, even in the case of rape, even in the case of a nine-year-old girl who was raped. God's word makes no exceptions for it at all. And so here's something else I wanted. Here's the, the next thing I want to address. Why do they bring up this argument? Specifically, why do professing Christians who are liberal in this area of abortion, why do they bring up this argument so much? The case of rape, the case of incest, the case of the life of the mother, which again, these cases only account for less than 2% of all abortions. The other 98%, 99% of abortions are all done voluntarily. There's nothing wrong, there's no case of rape, no case of incest, nothing wrong with the mother, nothing wrong with the uh, child on the womb. They just take their child to be murdered because they just simply don't want it. So why do they bring this up? You know, after, after you show them from the word of God what God says about murder, you show them that abortion is murder, and now they have to run to the the most hyenas extreme case possible to get you to rethink your view why do why do they do this well here's what i think once you hit them with the law of god and the law of god is very clear you hit them with the with god's word what god's word says about this about the situation but the bible is clear that abortion is the unlawful premeditated killing of human life once you hit them with the with the law of god with the objective standard of God's word. Once you hit them with that, and they're trying to process it, they just got hit with an objective standard. An objective meaning it's true outside of us. It's true whether we like it or not. This isn't God's word is not subjective. As Christians, we don't follow a subjective standard. We don't follow some standard that works for me, therefore I believe it. No. As Christians, we follow the objective, unchanging standard of God. And so once you hit them with that unchanging ob- uh, objective standard, and they know it's objective and it doesn't change, and that's the highest standard, God's, God's character, God's word is the standard. Once you hit them with that, now, the, now what they have to do is think of the worst possible extreme scenario there is that is emotionally driven to try and manipulate you into adopting their perverted view. The thing is, they're not they're not looking at this. They're not thinking about this through God's word. Again, I'm talking about professing Christians here. They're not thinking about this through through God's word. But then, then when you hit them with that, they don't like what God's word says. They don't like the fact that God makes no exceptions for abortion. 
Again, they are, they, they are thinking with their emotions, whether they want to admit it or not. That's what they are doing. And they want to bring up this case of a nine-year-old girl who was raped and now is pregnant and now has to carry the, 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 the baby uh, to term. This is an emotionally driven argument. Because what they're doing is saying, think about how horrible it's going to be for her, her, her small body not uh, ha- having to endure this, this pain, endure this, endure this pregnancy. She's not fully developed. It could, it, it could give her physical trauma. It could possibly kill her. That's When you start doing that, you are arguing from emotion, whether you want to believe it or not. Now, this, now, this may well be an actual like legit case, okay? This could possibly actually happen. Okay, I'm not saying that this can happen or this this doesn't happen, but it, but again, this this is an argument from emotion, because again, the word of God is the objective, unchanging standard, and it's the highest standard there is. You cannot change it. You can't go around it. You can't go beyond that. So now, what you have to do, you have two options here. You can say, you know what, God's right on this one. Again, I'm talking about I'm talking about professing Christians who want to make an exception for abortion. They have two options here. They can go, you know what? God's word is clear. God's word is clear on this issue. He makes no exceptions for it. I repent and I believe what God's word says. That that's one option. Or they can take the other option and decide I don't like what God says. I don't I don't like the fact that that, that you know God makes no exceptions for this. I don't like that. So I'm not going so I'm not going to believe it. That's what they do. They run to these emotionally driven arguments because of the fact that they know, they know they can't argue with God's word. They can't argue with God's unchanging standard. So now they have to run to their emotions and think of the, and they have to think of the worst possible scenario there is so they can try to pull on your heartstrings and get and and manipulate you emotionally manipulate you into adopt into agreeing with them adopting their perverted view it's that's what they do and quite honestly i think any professing believer who does that is either they're either not truly a christian or they're just severely deceived and i really hope it's the latter but i'm af- i'm really afraid that it's not because of the fact that God's word is clear on this issue of abortion and on murder. There's some secondary issues that the Bible talks about that aren't so like that aren't so like crystal clear, and it's not because God is incapable of speaking clearly. It's just differences of opinions on these secondary issues. But the issue of murder and abortion is not a secondary issue. It is a primary issue. God's law is a primary issue. He says, you shall not murder. He defines what murder is and says, you shall not do it. Those who commit murder deserve to die. It's clear. Clear as day. You cannot dispute that. And now here comes the question I want to address. Can we as believers still have fellowship, still considered to be brothers and sisters of Christ, those who profess to know Christ, but want to make an exception for murdering an innocent child? Even after you've hit them with the law of God, you've told them what God's word says, but they still refuse to repent and want to keep making exceptions for it. Can we still have fellowship with believers like that, with professing believers? This is a question that I had to wrestle with for quite a while because 
one of these professing believers is my brother. And, you know, of course, with family, it's hard. It's tough. I had to wrestle with this. I had to go with what the Bible said about this kind of situation. And two passages came to mind. The first one was in Romans. Romans 1. And I'm paraphrasing this. But in Romans 1, Paul lays out the fact that those who approve of sin... Like, even the approval of sin itself is sinful. You know, in Romans 1, Paul Paul says that these people, you know, he talks about, you know, the fall of, of humanity, the, and he, he lists the different kinds of sins they commit. And he says, these people not only practice these, these, these evil, they not only practice this evil, these sins, but they also give approval to those who do, which implies what? Uh, the approval of sin is sinful. And so those who want to profess faith in Christ but make, but make an exception for abortion, they, they, are, they are approving of this sin. They may, not, they may not be approving of it as a whole in every scenario. You know, they may, they may want to say that, you know, all other abortions should be made illegal, they should be banned, and they should be, they should be punishable by law. But we just want to make this small exception over here for rape, incest, or life of the mother. They are that that's giving that's giving approval of sin, of murdering an innocent child in the womb. And so they're committing they are they are guilty of that sin. They are practicing that sin of approving of approval. And then another passage is first Corinthians five. First Corinthians five, verse eleven. Paul writes but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So what does that mean? Have no fellowship with anyone who is named a brother. And this is talking about named a brother or sister in Christ. Anyone who professes to know Christ any so-called brother or sister, but they are sexually immoral, covetous, I, I, they're an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, an extortioner, not even to eat with such a one. Now, was Paul only talking about these specific sins? No, he was giving examples. He was giving examples of it. And we know this because of the fact that Paul often gives these, Paul often lists these, these kinds of sins together as examples of sins that Christians are to put to death, Christians are to uh, repent of, move away from. And so this 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 principle applies to any to, applies to any sin. Any sin that a so-called brother or sister in Christ is practicing, is currently practicing, and they're refusing to repent. Not even to eat with such a one, Paul says. So have no fellowship with them. So I think that answers the question. Can we as believers still have fellowship with professing Christians who want to make exception, who want to make it, who want to make exceptions or justifications for abortions, for whatever whatever the exception may be? Can we still have fellowship with them or keep company with them? The answer is no. We can't. Even if that person is a family member, like in my case, 
it's it hurts i know but you know who who do you who do you love more god or man god or your god or 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 your family you know jesus said whoever desires to follow me must and but does not hate his mother father brother sister husband wife even their own life they're not worthy of me they're not worthy to follow me and so brothers and sisters so my fellow brothers and sisters I encourage you, if you know any professing believer, whether they be a family member or someone else, who wants to make an exception for abortion, or wants to, or wants to believe that all abortions are okay, take them through the scriptures that I laid out here. Show them what God's word says. And if if they refuse to change their mind, they refuse to repent and believe what God's word says, have nothing to do with them. Or I guess if they're if they're in the same church as you, do what God says in Matthew 18. Take it before the elders and take it before the congregation. If they refuse to repent, cast them away. Have nothing to do with them. And those of you listening to this who are who profess to know Christ, but you believe that abortion is okay in whatever scenario you whatever scenario you want to make up, you want to come up with. You need to repent. You need to repent of the approval of abortion. You need to believe what God's word says. And if you don't, you refuse, then you are more than likely not even a Christian. Thank you guys for listening. I know this was when I was kind of... Like I said, this one this is, this is a close, a very... This is a deep topic that's close to my heart, and... I just thank you guys for listening. Again, please consider following me. Follow my podcast on Google, Anchor, Spotify. Follow my YouTube channel. Thank you guys again for tuning in. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. God bless you. Something else I forgot to mention. So in the case of a nine-year-old girl who was raped and is pregnant, let's say, just hypothetically, let's say that if she was to carry out this pregnancy, you know, even at even at nine years old, okay? Or you can even say ten years old, eleven years old, twelve years old, whatever age you want to say, let's just let's just make it easier and say she's under the age of eighteen. And let's say that this pregnancy was life threatening for her. Now, as Christians, what do we want to do? Now, as Christians, we are called by God to do whatever we can to preserve human life. So in this case, a nine-year-old girl, or whatever age you want to say, is raped. And let's say that this pregnancy would uh, would um, potentially kill her, end her life. Actually, no, sorry, this isn't killing. Would, would, would end her life if she was to carry out this pregnancy. And we want to preserve human life. Do we then make abortion okay in that case to preserve the life of, of the girl? The answer is no. Here's why. Because scripture calls us to love our neighbors, love all of them, even the child in the womb. And we do want to preserve this girl's life. 
but we cannot preserve human life at the expense of another. In the case of murder, in the case of self-defense, that's different. We've already established that in self-defense, God allows killing in that scenario because it's self-defense. You're preserving human life in that scenario of self-defense. But in this case, this is not a self-defense case. Okay, this is not someone trying to take your life or putting your life or the life of your loved ones in danger. This is a defenseless, unborn human child in the womb. And so what we don't do is commit the sin of murdering that child to preserve the life of the girl who is pregnant with this child. We cannot commit a sin in one area for the sake of obeying God in another. That's not the way this works. That's not the way that that works. And so what do we what do we do? The best thing, the wise decision to do is to come alongside this girl, love her the best we can, provide for her, be there for her, and we don't end the life of the, of the child in the womb. We allow this pregnancy to play out because again, if you are, are a believer in Christ, you believe God is sovereign, you we, we we believe that God is the one who determines when someone's life ends. And so even though, even though this pregnancy could possibly kill this girl, it could very well be possible that God will keep her will keep her alive even if she carries out this pregnancy, and that's a miracle. But let's just say hypothetically that she gives birth to this child and either her or the child or both of them their lives end, their lives end up being taken away because of this, because of this pregnancy. That is what we allow to happen because, because of the fact that in that scenario that she carries out the pregnancy and it ends up taking her life, it ends up maybe taking the life of the child, no murder was done in that, in, in that case. There's no murder that's being taken place. This is just dying from a natural cause. There's no murder that takes place. As opposed to the other scenario where we commit murder for the sake of for for the sake of trying to obey trying to obey God by preserving human life. Again, we cannot commit sin in one area to for the sake of obeying God in another. That's hypocritical and that is sinful. We allow we encourage this girl and the parents of this girl to carry out the pregnancy and just let the chips fall where they may. God could decide to keep this girl alive. Even if he doesn't, that doesn't make God evil. That doesn't make God mean. God's ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. But we allow the pregnancy to continue because in whatever in whatever the result is of that no murder was committed that's what we do